Just trust me, okay? So in addition to what we've been doing now with the economy, as well as talking about like business and all these types of updates, I'm now going to go ahead and introduce the amazing real estate mogul magnate himself, Colin McDowell. I appreciate you, brother. I, I will take the title. And we've also got the fabulous, delicious Lizzo. Hey, Michael. Yes, I do rent. I'm no real estate mogul. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, this is Michael. And we're going to be talking about real estate. This is going to be key for what's going on and what's changed. Because as we all know, a lot has changed from this time uh, last year to what's going on right now. And first up, we're going to talk about explosive demand for vacation rentals has made property managers a hot commodity. So does this make a lot of sense to you? Because to me, my thought is everyone is at home. They've been cooped up all this time. And now they're going, you know what? I want to get out of the house. I don't just want to go to a restaurant. I want to get the hell out of town and take a vacation. So now they're going everywhere else. What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I would see that. And I'd say a little bit of preparation in case something like this happened again. Again, you you get stuck in a house. You'd rather be stuck in a vacation house. Absolutely. But looking to the future <laughs> as far as investments, you're going to have a lot of people who were stuck. that didn't get to go on vacations. That'll probably take more of that. So that'll increase because rents for those are already high now. You'll end up getting more money and it'll pay off as an investment. So you have a lot of people looking to do that. And I think on the other side of it is really, again, people are changing the way they look at their life. Like if I never thought that I wanted a vacation and I thought it was too expensive or too risky or whatever, now you're going to be like, you know what? I only live once. I'm, I'm going after it. And I yeah. think that I think it's just changing. A lot of different dynamics are at play with that one. Um, but also, again, our population has increased. So we know rents for a little while be high because the last report I read, it says we need about three point eight million new built homes to kind of catch up. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. I didn't think about it. I hadn't thought of that. And I think one thing that's important, too, to note, kind of like what you just said, is a lot of people's perspective on the value of life, the value of taking a risk. What why that's important now is because you just really don't know what's going to happen. I still vividly remember when we were coming upon this and people at work were talking about this. And it was, of course, like everyone else. Oh, yeah, right. This isn't going to, nothing's going to come of this. But then all of a sudden it's like, okay, you guys are shut down and you're not coming back for like two weeks. I remember my first job was telling me that it was going to be at least three months. And I was like, there's no way. And here we are. So I think people are starting to view everything differently. Yeah. And it's not going to change. I think when you get that shock of reality, whenever it hits, right? Right. You know, some of us experience it through a life circumstance that we go through mm-hmm. um, as a single individual, right? Or with yep. our family or just a loss or something like that. But the whole world was shaken by this one. Absolutely. Right? We all kind of shared in that. Right. So no matter where we were, it just maybe we were like in Italy and they got locked in and they weren't even allowed but to send one person home, right? Whereas the rest of us, uh, well, some of us are essential in certain states and certain areas. So it's a little bit different, but we all felt the pain of it in different ways right. together. So I think it changed a lot of perspective. And I think that will that will never go away. You know what? I'm coming to the realization, and I, as most people know who know me, I hate the cold weather. Yes. Literally, I do not like it if it's below 70 degrees. And I try to keep this house at like 60. I'm like freaking out because the AC is still broken and they just came and fixed it, but they're about to fix it tomorrow again. I told you you'd break your air conditioning again. But anyway, I'm thinking about, you know, I've got winter's coming. I've got this job and that I report out of Eugene, Oregon. My off my office is in Eugene, Oregon that I've never that I've been to 10 years ago when I was a client of theirs. Uh Uh-huh. 
And, you know, once things settle down for me, why can't I move to Key Largo or Key West and live? Key Largo, Montego. And live, in, <laughs> live on the beach. Live on the beach. Live where, it's, live where it never goes below 70 degrees. Well, I think that she definitely wants to. And what's interesting to me, though, is you're talking about how much you hate the cold, yet the biggest dream is to always wake up six feet under because we're so exhausted all I the know. time. <laughs> but six feet under under warm ground in Florida would be nice. <laughs> this is true. Oh, under the beachy sands. So the U.S. is seeing the biggest hike in property taxes in four years. Homeowners in the United States likely saw their property taxes jump. So this reports how much more Americans are paying and who's feeling the most pain. So who do you think is feeling the most pain? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, it depends on what area you're going to go into. I mean, really, a lot of it is, think there was a moratorium the government put in place where you couldn't kick runners out and you couldn't foreclose Yeah, on for somebody. like six months. And so you could literally kind of push off your mortgage for a little bit, create an arrangement with your company. So those escrow accounts got depleted within a year, you know, because they got to yep. pay taxes on a yearly basis. But then also you got to look at the recovery aspect of what each place is going to need, and you're going to have to budget accordingly. Absolutely. And then you got another thing that happens that adds to it, right? The values of those properties have been rapidly increasing because the market has gone haywire because we have a supply demand issue. Right. When you have appreciation that normalizes at a two to three percent rate a year, mm-hmm. you know, in real estate, that's normal. And we're running at about 15 right now. What does that tell you to the values of your property? So who wants peace? I want my peace. I'm yes. the government. I need to pay for your roads, your infrastructures, your schools. And so they want that peace because they've been without it just as much as you have. And also the 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 st- the local governments that are somewhat funded by the state governments, the state governments are having to pay out unemployment as well. Mm-hmm. It's so a- this... And it's the state that pays your unemployment. The federal may sub the federal yes. government may subsidize. Correct. But they don't. I mean, in Virginia, they only subsidized like three hundred dollars of it. Correct. During the first unemployment deal. But it's and, interesting in this that you're bringing up the moratorium because they're also talking about that that's a whole other issue that's going on. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau announced an interim rule on Monday that will allow tenants to sue debt collectors who violate the national ban on evictions. Attorneys for the landlords and other debt collectors who wrongly evict tenants could also face federal and state prosecution, the bureau said. So <laughs> this is just going to even get worse as this goes on. Well, I think to a degree, you know, I, I'm one of those positive people. I like to think most people absolutely would do the right thing. You would if it comes think. Down. Now, there's going to be people yeah. that don't. And out of desperation, people will do strange things and do stuff that they're normally out of character, right? Right. Out of any fret of frustration. So I can understand it. But there are people that literally sat in the middle of this, actually kept the job, kept working, and refused to pay. And oh, refused to leave. Okay. So right. I could see those lawsuits being frivolous. kind of frivolous yep. at the end of the day because you have a lot of people that kind of live like, well, I'll sit on my butt and I'll go to work and I'm not paying you because you can't right. kick me out anyways. Yeah. yeah. Not a smart move. And you actually yeah. had people that could, again, on the same note, pay the mortgage. They could pay it. Right. Right. But that they, because it was allowed, you could push it off. You yep. created the arrangement. And guess what happens? You're collecting all that money that you would have been paying, and guess what you're doing with it right now? As we were just talking about a little bit ago, you're spending all that money. Yeah. So it wasn't just the check. Like now you're spending on reckless stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. We have a bad financial acumen. I told you that before. As far as a society, like we like that 1.7 trillion whatever debt. 
We don't right. realize that that debt is going to go to our great, 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 great grandkids and get exacerbated, like go crazy if we don't get it under control. Like you can't live in a debt household because then you're indebted to somebody else. Think about that. Debt means you're indebted to somebody else. <laughs> yes, debt means debt. <laughs> like you've got to pay it back at some point. Unless you die, right? Then what are you going to pay back? Then your family's going to pay it? Better Absolutely. have a good insurance policy. A country, a country can't exactly die, I hope not. You mm. know, that's... We get into the Walking Dead. No, but what I'm saying is we're the ones allowing that debt to accrue because right. we are accruing that debt. The average household has more debt than they do income, and that's just a, a factor. I mean, most right. people have more debt than they actually have income because oh, it's absolutely. easy to go get a loan for a car. Okay, well that's still a debt. Yes, it's still a debt. A house is debt still to a income debt. ratios right. are out of control. Yeah, credit cards. It's still a debt. I mean, we have people that literally just don't read some books, go take some classes. And let the the government give them a check or them create a little rule and get out of it. And then they're going to use it. And then here's a news story. Oh, but now you you can't keep me out. I'm going to see you. Okay, well. Yeah, but you're still going to, at the end of the day, they can, you know, when this is said and done, there are going to be a lot of people in some trouble. Oh, yeah. Because there's going to be a lot of judgments. Uh, Yeah. Well, and speaking to what you were talking about a minute ago, I'm assuming it wouldn't surprise you to know that New York, Mm. they're claiming the thought process is that New York could suffer as Florida real estate starts to heat up. So now everyone's wanting to go away from being up north and move straight on down south. So my thought was that during this time, they were saying that the rent and the affordability of places that are in hot neighborhoods in New York City, in Chicago, in Mm. Seattle, were actually at record lows. So I was thinking that would attract more people but apparently people are still wanting to stay away because of the closeness there there's too many people in one area a million still a million though let's think about that for a second if you say hey it's really affordable in new york but But the median price range a million bucks let's talk about what real affordability looks like most of us would die in in the united states america all over the world if you said Here's a million dollars. Yes. We would die for that. And we, it would be probably the biggest check we'd ever seen in our lives. Ever. But then we think nothing about, oh, let me go move to New York. But for a million is what you're at. And again, an average. Look at like uh, San Francisco. Same thing. San Francisco, gorgeous. You go see all the But a million and a half is the medium range. Like that, it, it doesn't equate. Economically speaking, you know, 20% of people make 80% of the money, right? There's an 80-20 rule. 80% of people make 20% of the money. Right. Mm-hmm. So those 20% that make it, yeah, sure, New York, that sounds like a good deal. But for the rest of us, that's not a good deal. Well, let me <laughs> ask you this, and I'm going to divert us a little bit. Yeah. Uh, there are towns in West Virginia that are actually paying people that, work at, that work at home to move there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Would You know, it's like a thought for me, like, Go live in BF, West Virginia. Well, let's take one moment and circle back to that. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Away, then we'd say nothing would come between 
Welcome back. So, a topic that's fresh off of Kentucky Sports Radio. That's right, I said it. Sports Radio. We're talking about another city in another state that is offering money for people to relocate to live there. There are multiple cities in West Virginia that are offering people like $12,000, maybe $20,000 <laughs> to actually live there for X amount of oh, years. I have heard that there's a requirement where it's like, it, you can only do this and we'll follow through, but you can't move before this long yeah then you can then you can move after and you keep the money right right so you're pretty much living probably rent free for the time that you're living there so you'll and you're working your stay-at-home job you have internet you can do the same kind of job as you can do living in virginia beach yeah i've only heard of this in like other like european countries where the offer was like we'll give you seventy five thousand dollars to relocate here but you have to stay here for 10 years like in the middle of nowhere in the mountains so I haven't heard of it here in the U.S. yet. What are your thoughts, Colin? It's economics. Yeah. I mean, when you really look at it, it's really what are the drivers of that, the economics of West Virginia? How long have we been looking at situations like this that a lot of people just probably aren't aware of? I think it's a great idea for these smaller towns to attract people that don't necessarily need to live in a certain place. And because uh, what happens to the economy is Liz brings her paycheck into that economy mm-hmm. for food, mm-hmm. for uh, any kind of, you know, automotive Yeah, but expenses. what if Liz's job is not there? You're, it's no, not it's my job is my job is virtual, so my job is wherever I take So they're life. hoping to find a whole bunch of people that can work from home? Right. But that's going to be the future anyways. That's I do gonna not be think, the future. I don't think you're going to have that because, again, productivity studies are high, as we talked about earlier, right? Those things exist. And then you're, you're looking at, like, West Virginia is gorgeous, right? If you've actually been up there... Yeah, it there doesn't parts, have the best reputation. No, no, but, but when I'm it saying, is gorgeous. When I'm saying, I, like, I agree. The water is absolutely crystal clear, clean. It's it's taken care of. Like, think about go to um, what's that place out in like that borders Vegas and California, Mammoth, uh, not Mammoth. Um, I'm trying to think of the the big lake, Big Bear. No, it was a huge lake, uh, Lake Tahoe. Lake Tahoe. There you go. Okay, that is the cleanest water in the United States. Yeah, I've been there. But you you look at it, but. West Virginia, it's up there. It's close. Oh, West, to their stuff. West Virginia is a. I mean, it's got the outdoor attractions, yeah, yeah. Uh, and these yeah, small the towns, wildlife. <laughs> these small towns are literally dying. Yeah. Well, because that was again when I go back to the economics, it was mining. They had uh-huh. a lot of mining, and then they had the college, which was a pool for uh, West Virginia. So they had certain little things, but a lot of it's outdated other than the college, right? Right. Right. And, and then uh, there's rural uh, towns uh, all across the South. They're all dying because well, the jobs moved away. Mm-hmm. Uh, the local mom and pops got replaced by Walmart that's paying yeah. people mm-hmm. nothing per hour and there's no kind of like upper level management or upper level, you know. And how much are they offering again? $12,000. It's twelve grand and upwards of twenty to the package depending on what you're looking at and whatnot. But yeah, yeah. I took a look. And, it, and again, this has happened, you know, generally when some places are economically have been ravished. So they're trying to encourage people to move there, spend their money there, become, start to bring in economics. Again, to me, you'd have to have a better plan than that. I think that's the one caveat I have. Like, just you can't give away money and say, here's a three-year, and then hope to God that they stay. No, you have to figure out as a state what what are going to bring economics. Like, here in Virginia, right, mm-hmm. we've got military that brings us. We've got Huntington Engels. We've got Cannon. We've got a lot of stuff in Virginia to bring in money. Politics, you know, brings in money. Like, we have a lot of things to bring in money. 
but we're always searching for new ways to bring in money. But let's say if you're a college, you're getting out of college with a massive amount of debt and you get this job that's a, pretty much you work at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, what prevents me from at least killing some of this debt by moving to West Virginia? I've got to pay to live somewhere. No matter where I am, I'm just getting a free $12,000 and a big chunk. I can pay off my debt. I think, again, people reevaluating themselves. It would be cool if you had a whole family, right? And you, you moved your family and your friends. Now, say you moved up there and you couldn't be around your family and friends. Right. It's, it's gonna oh, lose like you're saying, so make it like quick. a team effort. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, if, if that were the move. Build your neighborhood. Sure. If you knew people up there, right, and you had friends, that makes it even more encouraging. But I think the problem is we still desire to be connected. Even yes, though we've absolutely. formed into like Zoom and we have phones and all that. You still want to sit here right now and you yes. want to oh, see yeah. a friend, right? Yeah. So you want that interaction because those are the memories you'll remember, not the Zoom calls. No matter what we do, <laughs> right. it won't be the Zoom calls. <laughs> yes. So I think that that, that would yeah, be the, the most difficult part. Yeah, the human touch to me, but maybe yeah. we're, we're all too old for that. And maybe yeah. it's it's the younger generation that we can live with the Zoom calls. We can live with the whatever. Well, next item that you had touched on was talking about how – I think you were saying something about new construction, homes are growing, all this. So home builders are growing more confident about the housing market despite the rising cost of construction materials. I actually, I think it was about four months ago, five months ago, the front porch, um, the whole walk up, the stairs and all this were being built. And that was one of the things he actually just said it. It didn't occur to me at the time that it was super relevant, but he was saying that, yeah, randomly now building materials are just a lot more expensive. So the cost of installing those are going to be a lot higher. Have you heard a lot about this? Fact, yeah. I mean, wood, we were talking about in the car. Wood has gone up from April of last year to this point, I think, over 93% from what it was priced. So just wood, a piece of wood, costs you 93% more than what it cost you last year. Yeah, so imagine that in building a house and, and at scaling. Yeah, so your labor costs really haven't gone up. Mm-hmm. It's those costs that have. And they're going to be confident when you see numbers like we need to build three point eight million dollar homes to kind of our three point eight million homes right. that need to be built. You're making the money as a builder. So you, of course, are going to be happy because then you have the product. You have the means. It's not like I can make you sell a house today. But as a builder, I can find land, I can build, and I can create the development. No matter what the cost, I'll just have to make sure that the costs are advantageous for whatever marketplace I'm going in. And they do that research anyways. Well, and this is, this is an interesting point. Home builders are in an inviolable position. Millions of millennials are entering their prime home buying years. Mm-hmm. They're getting married and having kids as mortgage rates remain near all-time lows. That's a recipe for strong demand, yet a decade of underbuilding and hesitance on the part of would-be home sellers mean there are very few existing homes listed for sale. Mm-hmm. As a result, buyers are being pushed into the market for newly constructed homes. Mm-hmm. And I believe that was an area that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing this boom happening now. Yeah, I mean, shoot, I refinanced before it dropped to historical lows, which I still got a good rate on my house. I got 3.62. Okay. And that's crazy cons- considering when I bought my first house at like 7 or 8% interest mm-hmm. back in the, mm-hmm. in the uh, mid-90s. I'm I'm refinancing. You know what's funny is I'm in the middle of refinancing again, and I'm not paying any closing costs because the promo that the bank's doing, the same bank that I refinance with, so I don't have to even move it anywhere. Okay. And I went from a 3.62 on a 30-year note down to a 20-year note at 2.75 percent, and my payment that I I now pay only went up 300 bucks. That's. But I'll pay it off now quicker 
Yeah. And with a lower interest rate, so I'm giving less money to the bank, and you're not even making me pay to do the loan. Wow. Absolutely, I'm doing uh, it right and that's And that's so great for be, for people to build equity and build equity fast in houses and, and things. You know, if I could live half my life over again, which I know I can't, uh, I would have done more in real estate. Uh, for sure. But I think it's going to be filled because rates are lower and we have to look. There's studies that say the workforce will be, by 2024, 2025, will be 85% millennial. Right. That will be 85% of our workforce will be millennial by 2024, 2025. Well, we're in 2021. <laughs> yeah. So think, think about what they want. They want those houses. They're going to get it. They'll buy it. Like, they'll go, right? They want the remote work. They'll go to West Virginia. So there's a lot of things that we'll we'll look at that are going to change because millennial, which we technically fit into that group, you know. Yeah, and technically, not me. <laughs> but we, but I, I want some freedoms. I want to be able to move around. But I do like my home being my private home. Like it's quiet, Correct. It's right? Cool. Right. I don't I don't want to move around. But that's also because I have two kids. Right. But I know plenty of millennial friends that will never have kids, and they've told me that like they, God bless me for having kids. Them, they don't want it. Good for them. Mm-hmm. Go do it. Because they'll be the ones that travel and go to West Virginia and stay there for two, three years. And they're like, oh, I'll move back and over here. And they have a big, right. big bunch of money that they can use Robin Hood to buy stock with. Right, and they'll do all that. <laughs> they will do all that. And they'll own the world. We're going to go ahead and take a break, and we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Our house is a very, very, very fine house With two cats in the yard Life used to be so hard Welcome back. So in this other topic, Americans think it's better to invest in housing than the stock market. So what do you think the thought process is there and is there validity to that considering what we were just talking about in the previous episode on business where everything is moving over into digital monetary platforms like Bitcoin and things like that versus tangible items like owning a house? What are your thoughts on why investing in a house is better than the stock market? Um, well, I mean, I don't think it's better or worse. I think you need to diversify like they always teach you because you don't know what market's going to be controlled when, you know, and you do want ownership of anything you have. And if you own a stock, you have a portion of ownership in a company, right? If you own a house, you own the house, the property it sits on, the air above it, the stuff below, the resources on it, you own that and you want to own your stuff, right? So whether we're going into a digital age where you're going to own digital currency, right? and you're going to own digital artwork and NFTs, mm-hmm. you're going to own the practical things in your real life as well. Well, right. and that's what it seemed to be based on. The most common reasons people cited in choosing housing over stocks seem to be about comfort and stability rather than seeking a better return. The most commonly selected responses were that the home was their desired living environment and provides stability and that houses' prices were less volatile. Well, and let me just say this, because I, I tell this to every client that comes to me or somebody that wants to argue with me or another agent or whatever. Mm-hmm. I hate the adage that houses are an asset. They're not. Not while you live in it. Okay. It's a low-yield savings account. Right. That's what it is. If you really want to equate it and do the math, that's really what it comes out to be. Nothing wrong with that. Right. Well, I need a little bit of that savings account, and the house could be a nice one, right? Because it's going right. to appreciate. It's going to sit there. You're going to make your payments. You're good to go. It is not an asset until you actually turn around and you rent it to somebody else who's paying you a fee 
for that. It's paid off. That's free cash flow. That's the passive that we're, you know, everybody's looking for. Right. So you can find that segue in that, and it is more controllable than, say, a stock, right? Because the stock's on the free market, which has emotions and plays and whatnot to it. So people will, you'll see their stock go up. You'll see it go down the next day. And so right. that emotional roller coaster, it doesn't feel as comfortable, like you said. It's more comfortable to be control my house, but you got to realize what your house is. It's a savings account when you live in it. If you're going to get into investing in it, you still got to be smart and do your numbers and control the investment, which means looking at high rentability areas, turnover. Like you got to look at a lot of other right. things before you get into that either, any more than stock. So I think you need both, and I think both can coexist. You just got to be smart about how you do it. And I agree with I agree with Colin. It's it's you need both. I started out with stocks before I, because I didn't have enough money to buy a house. Right. But some of the money I made off of stocks went into buying my making $10,000 down payment on my first house. Okay. Uh, and I bought that first house in 1996. The, the key thing that people have to realize is how much money did you put in the house knowing that you always have to play, have a place to live. Right. And it's a key way to leverage, a, using a small amount of money, leverage a large amount of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, for instance, I bought a house in Colonial Place in 1996 for $92,000. It's a lot of money then back in 1996. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was almost $100,000. I sold that house for $250,000 in, uh, nice. in 2002. So in hold on, so it's 2002, you bought it in '96. So there you go. You're going in in a eight year or six year span of time. Uh-huh. You made a hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Basically off that was a I, great made, savings account. But I made a hundred fifty thousand yep. dollars off leveraging ten thousand dollars. So the rate of return on ten thousand dollars it cost me in cash. Mm-hmm. And maybe if you want to really include the heating system I bought and some of the things that I had to buy for the house as part of the investment to keep it going, but not the actual house payment. It's a hell of an investment, but you also can be subject to like, I bought a house, uh, in Lakewood in Norfolk, uh, for almost a million dollars at one point, uh, thinking it was just going to keep going up. Well, it was 2008. I got out of there by the skin of my teeth, by losing fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, which was just the realist, the the realtor's fee, mm-hmm. and I was very lucky. I lost fifty thousand. Uh, I've made money, and you know you can make money, you can lose money. Mm-hmm. But what you ha- what I needed, what I have to realize is you need to buy something you can comfortably afford yeah. when you purchase it. Don't get house poor. <laughs> yes, that's a big one. Stuff breaks. Be make sure that you have the resources to fix that and not putting putting it on the credit card. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't continue to use your equity to refinance your, yourself out of debt. Uh, it's just a matter of debt control. Some things happen to where you may have to get into some debt, you know, hospital bills, something like that. Mm. But you have to manage the investment and it's just like managing a stock market portfolio. You have to know when to sell, when to buy, but it's not... As, as things aren't going to move on a do- on a you know a moment's notice. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I'll give a little piece of advice based on what you just said to everybody, and then you don't need to hear another word out of me because hopefully this will be something that everybody could digest. Get ready. They're going to have to take. <laughs> everybody should learn a lesson, and if you don't have it, go read, go get a class, but treat your house like a business, like a P and L. 
how much money's coming in, what are your expenses, what's left over. If your your thing doesn't look right, and at the end of the day, you're taking a loss, you're doing wrong, you've created too much debt. If you're actually looking at this right, and you do business right in your house, and you have excess money you're putting into banks or stocks or whatever at the end of each month, you're doing pretty good. You just need to make sure that you're disciplined enough to know, treat your house like a business, other things you could treat like that. You'll have the same kind of reserve when you go into stocks or you go into houses or other ventures because you already know how to treat the business. Then you can go in with a solid mind frame as long as you do your proper research before you walk in to make a decision. Well, it's interesting you say it like that, too, because it does not occur to a lot of people, which is odd, but it doesn't occur to a lot of people to write everything down. So when you literally write it all out, that's when you can look at it and you can Mm -hmm. see it. But the biggest reason why a lot of people don't want to is because they don't want to deal with the honesty. Rigorous honesty looks different on everyone. And I have a spreadsheet for everything. Also, you know, when you're choosing your soulmate, make sure you're on the same page <laughs> yes. about, you know, your financial wants and dreams. Make, you know, just trust me on this one. You both cannot be crazy spenders. And maybe you could both be, you know, pinch pennies, but you're not really going to want that. A good one is a counterbalance. So mm-hmm. you definitely don't want someone who's going to be as free with the money if you're already having a problem. Because you get into this issue, well, she's going to be mad at me or he's going to be mad at me if, she's a, if I don't spend this money on them but i right i can't afford it oh well i'll do it anyway you could be crazy spenders as long as you're crazy earners well absolutely you treat it right i mean again i know businesses that spend so much money but because that that returns so good and their their profits and loss match up it makes sense but to everybody else it it could look foolish right so per per, you know the purview doesn't give you everything i would always say you know just look at the numbers look at the data what is what does your p l say Mm -hmm. um what does your P&L say at your house? Yeah. <laughs> well, and I know a lot of you may not be familiar with Colin, but just trust me, okay? Have a good night. Our house in the middle.